so dark and faithless as the plan of God unfolds. Christian, won't you help the helpless? Won't you feed their hungry souls? Brother, sister, time is short now. Serve in love and live by faith. For the things of earth are passing. And this could be the day. This could be the day that the Lord returns in glory. And this could be the day when He calls His children home. So be faithful in service as you watch and pray for When it's so hard to live right Turn away from all temptation We must fight against the night Brother, sister, time is short now Serve in love and live by faith For the things of earth are past And this could be the day, this could be the day that the Lord returns in glory, and this could be the day when He calls His children home, so be faithful.
supposed to introduce our speaker, and I'm about to forget that. I don't really need to introduce him a whole lot, do I? He's been here a lot of times now, and it's always a, a special day for me when I can sit and listen to uh, someone like our, our speaker. He pastored the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, and really that church and his ministry was so very instrumental in my ministry. I used to go to their pastor's school and come home with a whole briefcase full of notes. A briefcase is a thing that men used to carry <laughs> before they had iPads and uh, when we actually knew how to write on paper, which is a white substance that looks like this. But uh, I used to go to Jacksonville and come home with a whole briefcase full of that stuff and ideas and I'd implement them and to the point somebody said, y'all just have a little First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. And I learned so much from this man. He's my mentor and my friend. He was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, known around the world for being a great expository preacher. He has a lot of books out there. You would do yourself a favor if you'd pick up one of them and read it. It's a spiritual feast, I promise you. And so after the choir and orchestra sings and plays, Dr. Jerry Vines of Atlanta, Georgia, we're glad to have him back. I know you'll give him a good welcome, and I know you'll give him good attention when he comes to speak. Jim? the first and last 
my gracious. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you, Brother Jim, and thank you, choir, and thank you, orchestra. Uh, you folks have good singing and good preaching at the Florence Baptist Temple, don't you? You really do. Uh, you know, people who have uh, heard me preach say I ought to sing. And uh, people who have heard me sing say I ought to preach. And people who have heard me sing and preach say I should do neither. But it's obvious you folks here have both. You have good singing and you have good preaching. You say, well, now how in the world do you know that we have good preaching? I'll tell you how I know. Your services are live streamed. And on two occasions last year, uh, I got to listen in and look in uh, for the evening service. And uh, your pastor preached. It was the New Year's, beginning of the New Year, uh, right along there. And it's the service where you remember he had you have the candles and the lights on and all of that. I heard him preach that message. And then I heard him preach another message later on in the year when I found myself at home. Uh, and I, I really, really am not uh, just blowing smoke this morning when I say to you, your pastor is one of the best preachers there is in America. I'm here to tell you that is absolutely the truth. And uh, you are very, very, very blessed. And when I get through today, you're going to know indeed how blessed you are. And you're going to say, get that old man out of here and let our preacher come uh, preach again. But I'm really glad that your pastor is in the will of God this year. Uh, I will tell you how to know uh, if he is in the will of God. Uh, if I show up in a year's time, you know he is in the will of God. If you go a year and I don't come along, then you will know he is in a backslidden condition and needs to be prayed for. But it's one of my joys, it's one of my pleasures uh, to get to come and be here with you wonderful people and hear the great music and, and enjoy the fellowship. Now today's going to be a little bit different, really. You might call it a one-day Bible conference because I'm actually going to try and preach an entire book of the Bible today, this morning and uh, tonight. You say, oh my dear, I hope it's not the book of Psalms. I hope he doesn't try to, uh, to do that. No, if you will go in your Bible to maps, if you will find the maps in your Bible, I think most of you can t tell there's a picture of a map. And so if you'll find the maps and then if you'll take a left, you'll find the book of the Revelation. And then if you find the book of the Revelation, if you will get the book right in front of that, you'll find the little book of Jude. And so what I'm going to do is read the first four verses of the book of Jude this morning, and then uh, uh, I'll have a message tonight. I'll try to deal with more verses than that in this particular message, uh, and then I'll come back and give the climax tonight. And oh, by the way, you better come back tonight because after hearing uh, what we're going to deal with this morning, if you don't come tonight, you may be in a depressed condition. So I've got to discourage you or disturb you this morning, but I'm going to encourage you and challenge you, so you got to come back tonight. Would you stand now uh, for the reading of God's Word, and let me read the first four verses of the book of Jude, and uh, then we'll be looking at some other verses as well. 
Uh, beginning now with verse 1. Jude, the servant of, the, of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto all the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. You may be seated, and may God honor the reading and now the preaching of His precious Word. There was a program on television that became quite popular in America uh, for a number of years. The program was called 24 A Day in the Life. And I think one of the reasons that particular program became so popular in America is because it was dealing with something that is of great concern to the American public. Uh, Just uh, recently, Franklin Graham said that radical Islamists have uh, infiltrated the very highest levels of our government. And so there is great concern about terrorism. There is great concern about spiritual infiltration. A number of months ago, uh, I had a little place up on my uh, forehead, just a little red uh, uh, sore, very small sore, and it wouldn't get well. And so at the insistence of my wife and my children, I went to see the dermatologist, and the dermatologist said, well, you have an infiltrative basal cell carcinoma, and uh, I was sent to a surgeon uh, to have it removed. You see, an infiltrative basal cell carcinoma is a physical terrorist. It is an infiltration in the physical body. And so we are looking today at infiltration in the political body in our government. From time to time, we have infiltration uh, of a physical terrorist into our physical body. But today, I want to talk to you about a different kind of terrorism, a different kind of infiltration, and I'm referring to what is known as the apostasy and those who teach the apostasy as the apostates. I had a great evangelist friend a number of years. He was very influential in my life. His name was Jess Henley. You probably remember uh, Dr. Henley, uh, Pastor Monroe. And uh, he was a great Bible teacher, a great Bible scholar, a great evangelist. We were riding together probably 20 years ago, and he said to me, he said, Jerry, we are not headed for the apostasy. We are in the apostasy. In recent days, I have wondered if Dr. Henley were alive today and would see what we are seeing and witnessing in our culture and in our churches, I wonder what he would say. Now, of course, you know, as has already been sung this morning so beautifully by Chris, we are living, awaiting of the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, we are looking for the blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the great hope of believers is the return again of the Lord. And as you study the return of the Lord and what the Scripture has to say about it, you will observe that there are certain conditions that will be current when our Lord comes again. 
For instance, over in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, uh, chapter 3, uh, it talks about the fact that in the last days, perilous times shall come. In our culture, in the days when the Lord returns, there will be anarchy. Would you agree with me that everywhere we look in our culture today, we are seeing anarchy? We are seeing rebellion against accepted standards. We are seeing resistance against the truth of God. Would you agree with me that that is true today? And so in the culture, there is anarchy. But the Bible also predicts that there will be certain conditions current uh, on the inside of the church. And one of those, uh, uh, one of those uh, conditions is uh, apathy. Uh, two men were talking together one day, and one of them said to the other, he said, Did you know uh, the, the, the Bible says in the last days uh, there will be ignorance and, and there will be unconcern? And, and the guy said, Well, I didn't know and I don't care. We are living in the days of apathy. It is pictured for us in the Laodicean church in the book of the Revelation. The church that is lukewarm, the church that is neither hot nor cold, we are living in those days of apathy. But the Bible also predicts that there will be apostasy in the last days. You say, well, preacher, where do you find the word apostasy in the Bible? Well, I'm reading from a King James text, and you can look all over your Bible, and you will not see the word apostasy used. Well, where do you find the word apostates? Uh, You can look all over your Bible, and you will not find the word apostates. There are certain words that are not found specifically in the Bible, but the truth of those words is found in the Bible. For instance, the word Trinity does not occur in the Bible, but the doctrine of the Trinity is taught in the Bible. There are a couple of places, and if you just want to jot down some verses, uh, I'll not ask you to turn to them, but I have a couple of verses I want to read to you this morning. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, in the Greek text, the verb that is translated here, depart from the faith, they shall depart from the faith, it is the Greek word apostasonta. Now, if you listen very carefully, you can hear a word there transliterated, apostasonsa. Do you hear the word apostasy emerging there? Here's the second scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now the little phrase there, a falling away, is the translation of a Greek word and a little article in front of it. Hey, apostasion. Do you hear reflected there? Apostasion, apostasy. And so here we have two specific passages, two verses in the Bible that predict there will be the apostasy in the days before the Lord comes and that some will depart from the faith. So let me give you a definition of apostasy. Apostasy is a falling away from the faith. It is a departure from the faith. And an apostate is a teacher or a preacher who teaches or preaches apostate doctrine. And so we come to the book of Jude. 
Rather interesting, this book of Jude. Uh, you know, the, uh, the book of Acts begins the church age in your New Testament. The book of Jude ends the church age. We start off with the Acts of the Apostles, and we conclude with the Acts of the Apostates. We begin the church age with the Acts of the Apostles. We conclude the church age with the Acts of the Apostates. It is that inward infiltration. It is that invasion that comes on the inside that causes the church to depart from the faith. Uh, you know, we're living in a, in a day where just about anything you want to believe, there'll be somebody out there teaching. Uh, we're we're kind of like in a spiritual zoo in, in America. Any way you want to live, anything you want to believe, there's every stripe, there's every shape of religious animal out there that will tell you that it is all right to live that way or to believe that way. Well, here is Jude. And we notice in the book of Jude that he lays before us the whole issue of apostasy. Now, the book of Jude is rather simple to outline. I'm doing a little Bible study is what I'm doing this morning. And so there are three basic divisions in the book of Jude. The first four verses of Jude hang together some words of explanation. And then beginning in verse 5 and going all the way through verse 16, we have some words of exposition. Actually, two sermons that Jude preaches for us. Then we come to verses 17 and through 25, we'll deal with tonight some words of exhortation. So now let's begin to move through these words together. First of all, some words of explanation, how apostasy is defined. Now track with me as we move down through the verses. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. It is commonly believed that he was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he does not call himself the brother of the Lord Jesus. He calls himself the servant, the bond slave of the Lord Jesus. And then he says that he is the brother of James, who is also one of the half-brothers of our Lord. So here is Jude, the half-brother of the Lord, now a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm writing to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. If you are a born-again believer, if you have been saved, then that's your category right there. To them. Now, the load-bearing statement there is the word called. If you are saved, you are among the called. It is a word that had to do with invitation to a banquet. If you are saved, you have been called by the Lord unto salvation. Let me give you a verse of Scripture that explains how that takes place. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That took place in my life when I was a nine-year-old boy. It was a Sunday night. I was sitting right where this lady is on the second row. And I sensed the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit. 
The truth of the word was being preached. The truth of salvation was presented to me. The spirit of God sanctified me. That is the spirit of God convicted me and I believed the truth in my heart. And I came forward that night. I gave my hand to the preacher. I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that moment I became one of the called ones in the Lord Jesus. And so if you have been saved, you are called. And then it says sanctified by God the Father. And the word sanctified there means set apart. Some even translate it loved by God the Father. Uh, And they're all about the same. It practically comes out uh, to the same place. We are loved by the Father. We are sanctified. That is, He has set us apart by His wonderful love. I don't know about you, but isn't it overwhelming to think that God loves us? Isn't it an amazing thing to think that the God of this universe loves us? Uh, I think about a poem I heard many years ago. How thou couldst love a wretch like me and be the God thou art is darkness to my intellect, but sunshine to my heart. We are loved. We are sanctified by God. And then he says, we are preserved in Jesus Christ. And the word there means to be kept. We are guarded. We are kept. We are preserved by Jesus Christ. Dear one, if you are saved, you are just as good as in heaven as if you had been there 10,000 years. You are kept by the power of God. You are eternally kept. You belong to him. Christ is the, is, the, is the casket in which God's jewels are laid. We belong to the Lord. And then in verse 2, he gives a greeting. Customarily, the letters of the New Testament give a greeting. And do you notice the trinity of greeting here? He says, mercy unto you and grace and love. Mercy, that has to do with the upward. Uh, God has given us his mercy. Peace, that has to do with us something inward, the peace of God we experience in our heart. And then he says love, that that reaches outward to those around us. And notice, he doesn't say these things be added to you. He says these things be multiplied to you. You say, oh, well, preacher, what's the big deal? You know, whether to add or, or whether to multiply. Well, there's a lot of difference between adding and multiplying. Uh, you know, if you add 2 plus 2, you get 4. 4 plus 4, 8. 8 plus 8, 16. 16 plus 16, 32. That, that's not bad. But when you multiply, it's even better. Uh, 2 times 2, uh, that's 4. 4 times 4, that's 16. 16 times 16, that's uh, a 256. 256 times 256, that's 65,536. God doesn't just add these things to us. Praise God. He multiplies his love and his mercy and his peace to us. I'll never finish. I'm getting so happy, and I'm just now in verse 3. Now, notice what he said. He said, beloved, he's going to explain now what took place. Uh, He sets out, as he says, and let me just kind of paraphrase this. He he sets out in verse 3, he said, I set out to write a a, a little letter about our common salvation. We have so much in common if we're saved. He said, I was going to write a little letter about the common salvation. But then he said, it was needful to me. And the word means there was a sense of inner compulsion. 
uh, there was a sense of necessity. Something transpired. Something took place. And he said, it was needful for me to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We don't know if it was apostates who came along bringing confusion in the church. We don't know the circumstances that were definitely involved, but something happened and uh, Jude puts down the, the quill of his letter uh, about salvation and he picks up the trumpet of alarm and he gives the red alert and he calls the church to action and he arouses the people. He said it became necessary to encourage you and to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I come to you this morning and I say to you that that is the day in which we find ourselves in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the duty of every preacher who faithfully preaches God's Word today to, to read, uh, to, to, to give the red alert, and to sound the trumpet of alarm. We are living in the days of apostasy. And so he said, I want to exhort you to earnestly contend for, now watch, the faith. Did you notice that? The faith. Now, what is the faith? Uh, well, you know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it talks about the apostles' doctrine, the faith. Uh, in, in Romans uh, 6, 17, it talks about that form, that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you, the faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose the third day, and that he was seen. The faith is the basic fundamentals of Christian truth, without which, if you take away one of them, if you remove a single one of them, then you do not have the faith, the fundamentals. Somebody said, preacher, are you a fundamentalist? Well, if you mean a fundamentalist in the sense that I'm narrow-minded and, and that I'm a bigot and, and that I'm an extremist and, and all of that, then no, I'm not. But if you mean by that, are you one who believes in the fundamentals of the faith, the answer to that is yes. I believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the sinless life of our Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and that three days later he rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. I believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. That's the faith, ladies and gentlemen. And the Bible says, earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all, literally. He's not saying that it was once upon a time delivered. He said it's once for all delivered. Now, when you encounter some people who say, I've got a new revelation. Ever heard anybody say, oh, I've got a new revelation. I've got news for you. This is the full and the fixed and the final revelation of the faith of God's message to man. And you do not add to it, and you do not take away from it. It is the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. Now watch. He says in verse 4, there are certain men. You know, you, you can almost 
taste Jude's distaste right here, can't you? There are certain men, and th- this is so graphic. I-, I wish I had time to really develop that. This is so graphic. He said, uh, earnestly contend for the faith, and-, and then he says there are certain men. The word earnestly contend there, the, the two words there mean to, to uh, it's kind of like carrying on an athletic uh, content. It was used as an athletic term. To earnestly contend. Uh, We get our word agonize from that word. Uh, Every time I see that earnestly contend in its original meaning, I I think about college football. I I know I'm in church, but you know it won't be long now. Five Saturdays from yesterday, they kick it off. Praise God. Now, all you boys out there, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're, we're looking for the football. And when I see this right here, I think about those big old offensive linemen. How do they get so big? 330 pounds. And boy, they're just stretching every, earnestly contending for the game. Uh, That's what he's saying we ought to do, earnestly contend. And then he talks about these uncertain, these these ungodly men. And he says in verse 4, they have crept in unawares. Oh, how graphic that that statement is. They have crept in unawares, uh, unawares. It is actually made up of three Greek words. It's made up of the verb to, uh, to slip. It's made up of a little preposition in. And then it's made up of another preposition that means alongside or, or uh, in the side. It, it was the picture of a, of a crocodile slithering almost unnoticed into the water. It was used of an exiled criminal who slipped back in the country from which he had been Exile, And what he's saying is this is how the apostates work. This is how apostasy gets in the church. It, it, it slips in uh, from the side. Uh, it worms its way in. It, it's like the, the Mexican border. It digs tunnels underground. And the next thing you know, there it is. Uh, ungodly men who crept in unaware. Before people realize it, it's there. You see, that's why your pastor could be compared to a surgeon. Uh, When they biopsied uh, the the place up here and they gave the, the diagnosis that it was a cancer, then they sent me to a surgeon. You see, you, you, you have to have uh, medical uh, experts. They biopsy, they do biopsy, and then they do surgery. Your pastor is a spiritual surgeon. It is his job to do biopsy. He examines doctrine. It is his job to do surgery. Sometimes it's painful, pastor, but but there are times when you have to do the surgery and, and get rid of the cancer that may have wormed its way into the congregation. I was, a, I was a pastor for 50 years. And though it was never pleasant to do, from time to time we would have people who would come into our fellowship. And the next thing you know, they would begin teaching some doctrine and getting a little group off the side. And, and they would be infiltrating the, the fellowship with spiritual cancer, and and as a pastor, I had to do biopsy, and I had to do surgery, and that's what Jude is doing, and that's what your pastor does, and and, and now notice he he defines apostasy for us. This right here, really, we we need a whole series on this. Look at verse 4. There are certain men crept in unawares 
who were before of old ordained to this kind of ungodly men. Now watch. Two things are said. Turning the grace of God, our God, into lasciviousness. What a big word. And then he says, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that. You will notice on the one hand there is moral apostasy, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And then there is doctrinal apostasy, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there are two facets to apostasy. There is the moral apostasy and there is the doctrinal apostasy. Uh, Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's a big old word. What does that word mean, preacher? Well, really what the word actually means, it means uh, unashamed sin. It means in-your-face sin. Uh, it, It means those believers who get so bold in their sin, they turn the grace of God into disgrace. They turn grace into disgrace, and they turn liberty into license. There's a whole doctrine going around today that says, you know, you're saved. It really doesn't matter. Uh, You can live any old way you want to live. And and it basically guts the gospel of its moral imperatives. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to be different as believers. The Bible says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying godliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Uh, What's it all about? If being saved, if living for Christ doesn't make you any different from anybody else in the world, what's it all about? Dear one, if you're living just like you lived before you profess faith in Christ, you have reason to question the reality of your conversion experience perverting. They pervert. They twist the grace of God. But now notice, and denying. Now, there's the moral side and there's the doctrinal side, but here's how it kind of works. One influences the other. Sometimes it starts with apostate doctrine, apostasy morally. At other times, it it starts off with uh, uh, morals, uh, 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 moral apostasy, apostasy Morally, and one influences the other. Uh, That's the day we're in today. Um, Let me just read you something. I'm going to try to not call names. I'm trying to follow the example of Jude. The only apostates he calls by name are all dead apostates. So I'm going to try to follow his example. But some of it may be so, so clear that you'll understand what it's all about. But we had one one person here recently, preacher who was at the church of Oprah. You do know about the church of Oprah, don't you? (laughs) Okay. He was there. He was speaking. And he was saying that, uh, here's what he said. Marriage, gay and straight, is a gift to the world. And Oprah said, when is the church going to get that? And he said, we think it's inevitable, and we're moments away. I think the culture is already there, and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant. Now watch this. When it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. 
Now, did you see what he did right there? He basically is twisting doctrine, the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture. He just said it's just letters, dry and dusty letters 2,000 years ago. It has nothing to do with us today. Well, folks, if the Bible is not authoritative for our day, then just throw the Bible in the dump. I mean, what difference does it make? If the Bible has nothing to say to our day, no application to our day, then what's it all about? He has changed doctrine to accommodate behavior. And that is where we are. Uh, let me just show you something else, and I'll, I'll probably get into a little more of this uh, later on, maybe uh, tonight. Uh, there is a tidal wave of gay theology going on. Now, now let, me, let me just say, first of all, I, I don't hate gays. I'm not up here bashing gays. If you're in the homosexual lifestyle, I'm here to tell you today that I love you and the church loves you and the Lord loves you. But I have to love you enough to tell the truth. I have to love you enough to tell you there is a better way. And so, anyhow, though, here, here was an article about the wave of gay theology. And this particular writer uh, explained that after the Stonewall riots in 1969, homosexual af- ad- activists banded together to oppose every American institution that, that did not fully accept and promote homosexual behavior. And he says the first victory was over the American Psychiatric Association. And with 40 years, uh, every other group had been conquered, he said. The Boy Scouts were the latest to fall just a year ago. Now, the only organization left is the church. And he discussed their whole plan that they have now moved the battle to the church. And he says there is a modern, a Christian writer says there's a dangerous modern heresy called gay theology, and it is infiltrating the Christian church at an alarming rate. Homosexuality is not just another sin. It is a symbol of extreme rebellion against God and harbinger of His wrath. Would you have ever believed, would you ever have believed that we would be living in a day where people would stand in the pulpits and would affirm a lifestyle that God has placed His judgment upon? Would you ever have believed that we would be living in a country where at the highest levels of our government, affirmation has been given to a redefinition of marriage. The Bible has given us the definition of marriage. And it is not anybody's place, be they five in black robes or whoever they be, to redefine what God has clearly defined. So you see, one influences the other. Pastor, you've had this experience. I had it several times along the way. Some of your young people go away to college and they've been there for a few months and then they come back and they announce to you and to everybody else they no longer believe the Bible. They've been taught better. They've been taught evolution now and they no longer believe the Bible. In nine out of ten times, The reason for it was because they had begun to live an immoral lifestyle, and so they have to change their doctrine to accommodate their new lifestyle. 
That's how apostasy is defined. Now, you're in real trouble. And I'm in real trouble too. Because I've got 12 verses to deal with in five minutes. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I, I'll just tell you that it ain't going to happen. So let me just kind of hop, skip, and jump here. Now, what you have in verses five, I saw some dear lady back there say, oh, dear Lord, is he going to preach that long? <laughs> no, no. I, I tell you the way I do this thing now, folks. I preach until I get hungry. <laughs> And then I quit. You're going to buy my meal today, preacher? Am I? Okay, all right. Now, don't you get hungry before I get hungry, okay? All right. Now, what you have here in verses 5 through 16 is you have some words of exposition. Actually, Jude preaches two sermons in uh, these verses. He preaches two sermons. And in the first sermon, he, he gives us three Old Testament events that illustrate for us what apostasy is all about. That's verses 5 through 10. In verses 11 through 16, he preaches another sermon, and he uses three Old Testament examples of people who were apostates. So the first sermon, he talks about three uh, events. Verse 5, the children of Israel, when they were led out of the uh, land of Egypt, uh, they got into the wilderness and they did not believe they apostatized from the promises of God. Verse 6, the angels who left their first estate, they chose this world over heaven. Who would ever do that? And yet people are doing all the time. And and that's rather interesting. I I have a series I'll tell you about later on that. And then in verse 7, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he talks about their apostasy. They departed from God's purity. And then he gives examples. He illustrates it. He applies it. And then in verses 11 and following, three Old Testament examples, three of them. Look at it. Woe unto them. The Greek word is even more graphic. Ooh-ah is the word. Ooh-ah. Woe unto them. It is a, it is a cry of denunciation, but it is a wail of, of sorrow. Jesus used that word, woe. Judgment is coming. Wrath is coming. Woe. And then he mentions the way of Cain. How did Cain apostatize? He departed from God's way of salvation. He chose beauty over blood. Uh, he, he chose trying over trusting the way of Cain. And then the era of Balaam. You all know about Balaam. Uh, Balaam is the man, the preacher who had the famous talking donkey. You said, do you really believe the donkey talked? Well, of course I believe the donkey talked. In fact, to be honest with you, I'd rather have heard Balaam's donkey talk than some of these liberal preachers preach. I mean, if you don't know the truth of the matter. And he corrupted the people. He apostatized in matters of of separation. And then, of course, there was Korah, the gainsaying of Korah, the rebellion of Korah. He's the man who rebelled against the spiritual authority of Moses and and Aaron. And, And so he illustrates it. You see what Jude is doing? Jude is just putting up pictures. He is just painting pictures. He's showing us how to recognize and identify apostasy. And then in verses 12 and 13, he gives five beautiful graphic pictures from nature 
to describe these apostates. These are spots in your feast of charity. Some people say it means these are hidden reefs under the surface of the water that will do damage to the ship. And uh, apostasy does damage to the great ship of Zion, the church. And then he says they're like clouds without water. I come from a rural county down in Georgia, and I remember when when there would be days of drought and there would be no rain on the crops and the crops would shrivel and die. And I, I can remember farmers and occasionally there'd be a cloud that would come up. And that cloud had such promise. Oh, there comes a cloud. We're going to get rain. And then that cloud would just pass on by. What disappointment. And friends, I'm here to tell you that when the real needs of life come, I fear that some who are in apostate churches today are going to look for the showers of blessing from glory and they won't come. I I want to tell this quickly. I have a a friend, preacher friend, whose son took his family and they've been going to an apostate church is all I know to call it. They're bringing in thousands of people. To hear no gospel at all, to hear motivational talks. And, and uh, so my pastor friend's son had his children there. And, and the son, the little boy, the grandson of my friend, went to a Baptist church this summer for vacation Bible school. And he heard the gospel and he got saved. He came back. Now get this. A little boy, about 10 years old. He came back to his dad and he said, Dad said, I want to go to that church where I got saved. He said, they haven't told me how to be saved at the church where we're going. He said, Dad, I know more about the Bible than my teachers do over there. I want to go to a church that will tell me how to get saved. Now, dear parents, let me say to you today, if you're a member of Florence Baptist Temple, you are so blessed and you have made a wise decision. You have brought your sons and your daughters to a place where they will hear not psychology, but they will hear about Christ. They will hear not creative, motivational speeches, but they will hear biblical messages that are designed to bring people to Christ and to change their lives and to help them in times of real need. Apostate churches are clouds without water. Trees whose fruit withers without fruit. They're fruitless because they're rootless, twice dead. They're not only spiritually dead, but they're headed for the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. They're like waves uh, belching up their filth and scum on the shores of their own life. Oh, it would break your heart if I could tell you about some things that are going on in our churches today. I've never seen such worldliness. I've never seen such immorality. I have never seen such compromise on the part of those who stand in the pulpit and brag about their cursing and they brag about their drinking and multitudes are there in front of them. And the filth and the scum come out. Wandering stars. Shooting stars. They're here for just a little while, and they're gone. You know, one of the reasons God has blessed your church so much is because you have a man right here who has been the pastor and the spiritual leader of this church for over 40 years. You don't have to wonder where he stands. You don't have to wonder what you're going to hear. 
you don't have to wonder if he's going to. If he ever compromises, I'm coming up here personally and I'm shooting him. I'm just carrying on now. Don't, don't go out. Oh, that preacher going to shoot our pastor. No, no, I'm just kidding. And then he illustrates it, and I'll close quickly with this. Uh, he gives an illustration here using Enoch. Verse 14, he talks about Enoch. Now, if your pastor stays in the will of God and invites me to come back next year, I might just preach a sermon on Enoch. Enoch arguably lived in days even worse than ours. He lived in apostate days. It was right before the judgment of the flood. You see, God judged an apostate world with the flood. He'll judge it with the fire next time. But, but here was Enoch. And two times in the biographical sketch of Enoch, it says that Enoch walked with God. Somebody said, you can't live for the Lord in the kind of days in which we're living. He did for 300 years. Of course you can live for the Lord. You say, well, how did he walk with God? Well, first of all, you've got to walk in. Have you walked in this morning? Has there been that time when you walked in and became uh, a member of the family of God, became a child of God? And then you have to walk on. That's that daily life. And I'm going to tell you tonight how to live daily for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he walked out. He was not for God took him. God translated him right out of and ladies and gentlemen, that's the prospect of God's people who live for him in these apostate days. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.